is the Refinery Church Podcast. Each message is from our weekend service right here at our campus located in downtown Brea, California. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. Well, we started a series last week, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, you can check out our podcast. We started a series with a very similar question, but a different motivation and a different approach. And your answer to the question that we ask, determines your worldview. It determines your perspective. It really determines how you're going to spend your money, how you're going to spend your time, how you're going to love people. And most importantly, your answer will dictate how you'll spend eternity. It's a pretty important question. It's probably the most important question that you can answer. Matter of fact, I would have to say it is the most important question that you will answer. It's a question that Jesus asked a group of his followers just 2,000 years ago. He said, who do you say I am? Who do you say that I am? Moral teacher, great philosopher, social revolutionary, or something more? Who do you say he is? From politics to campuses to Hollywood, the image of Jesus has gotten a bit distorted and out of focus. We're taking a few weeks to look at Jesus, taking a few weeks to go to the source, the best source to find out who Jesus is, and that is the Gospels. As I said last week, there are libraries with walls packed full of books that have been written about Jesus. He is the most written about individual in all of history. And I could quote philosophers, I could quote theologians, but we're going to look at the Gospels over the next few weeks to explore and see who Jesus is and who Jesus is for you. See, Jesus was and is the same. This scripture reminds us from Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's who Jesus is. He hasn't changed, which means the Jesus that we see in the Gospels is as relevant today as it was then just 2,000 years ago. He's not irrelevant. He's not out of touch Even though technology is at an extremely high rate and high speed, Jesus is just as relevant today. We concluded last week with something that I wrote out on the message board, and it was this, that Jesus is a maker. If you were here last week, you remember I said Jesus is a maker, and I talked about how he makes old things new. He makes broken people whole, and he makes discouragement disappear. I noticed a few more statements out there, and it was really exciting to see, and I want to encourage you. Even if you've already written one statement, if you feel like you want to write a second one, go for it. we can. We got plenty of room on that board. Fill it up. Fill it up. James, are we okay with the air? I'm feeling a little chilly. Maybe it's because I don't have any covering up here. I don't know what it is. (laughs) The statement that I wrote out on the board today, before the service started, I wrote out there, Jesus is present. Everybody say, Jesus is present. Jesus is present. That's today's focus. Jesus is present. One of the best compliments I got uh, recently was from uh, when I was up at camp and I was visiting with some youth and some 
young leaders and uh, one young woman who has known me for a few years came to me and said, you know something, Kelly, something I've always respected about you. You're very present. And I said, what do you mean by that? What do you mean you're, I'm very present? She goes, you're right here in the moment. When I'm talking to you, you're here. You're not looking off somewhere else. You're not distracted by other people. You're not. And she went on to really pay me a really great compliment by saying, when I'm talking to you, you give me your attention and you're very present. And I loved that compliment. And you know what? I really feel like we're going to see tonight and you're going to discover that Jesus isn't some far off distant alien, but he's very present, very present. Um, how many of you guys have watched movies and you've seen television shows where somebody is dying, they've been shot or uh, they've, they've succumbed to some terminal illness and family members or individuals get really close to them because they want to hear the last words that are whispered. You know what I'm talking about, right? Individual gets, it's a murder mystery, and an individual gets shot or something, and they want to find out who done it, right? And they move in really close, waiting for a clue just to be whispered. Or, or, or maybe, you know, somebody is passing on who's a multi-billionaire, millionaire, and, and, and all the family gathers around because they want to know, am I going to be the person that gets all of your money? And they listen to the very last words that are spoken. Or maybe it's some romantic Romeo and Juliet kind of, you know, film or movie, and the person's expending their last breath to say, I love you. <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about, right? The last words that are spoken are important. I mean, they're, they're, they're so important. And I mean, movies and television have kind of dramatized it and exaggerated a little bit. But the last words that are spoken are extremely important. And so what I wanted to do this tonight is I wanted to start with the last words that were recorded by one of Jesus' disciples, a guy named Matthew. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time tonight in the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to start at the back of Matthew, at the end of Matthew. It's the last words that Matthew records Jesus saying. And these are the words of Jesus. It's the last ones. And so it's important. It's very important. And you need to hear these words. It's these words that give direction and powerful promises. Take a look right there on the screen. Jesus came and told his disciples these words. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So he gives direction to all those who are saying, I'm a follower. Here's your, here's your marching orders. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And verse 20 says, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And here it is. And be sure of this. Let's all read it together at the very end. Ready, begin. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Did you hear that? And I am with you. I am with you how often? Always. In just the good times? How often? Always. Everybody say always. always. 
I am with you always. Last words recorded by Matthew, the last words of Jesus that he remembered, the last words of Jesus that were so moving to him. I am with you always. Oh, man, he needed that. And I guarantee you, he held on to that when he went through persecution, when he went through trials, tribulations. He held on to that knowing that Jesus said he's with me and I'm not alone. I'm not alone. See, these words matter more than anything that we can imagine. These words reveal the heart of Jesus and the character of God. You need to know that. Because too often we think that God is some far-off, distant force who doesn't care, who's not involved. But the reality is, God says, I am with you always. These words actually echo all the way back in the centuries to the very beginning of time here on earth. And if we look at the book of Genesis, the narrative from the very first book of the Bible, we read that God created all that we see and all that we can't see there in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And in the third chapter of Genesis, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. I don't even have the scriptures because you can go home and read it. But in the third chapter of Genesis, we discover that after God creates everything, right? The sun, the moon, the stars, the birds, the bees, the trees. What else can I rhyme with? The seas and all the other E's. He creates all this. And you would think that God might go, whew, that's good. I'm out of here. Let's move on to something else. That was good. No, it's not what it says. In the book of Genesis chapter 3, we read that, that God doesn't head off to some distant part of the universe. It says that he actually literally would walk in the garden and spend time with humanity, the, the first of creation, the first two people known as Adam and Eve. He would actually walk with them. I mean, think about that. God could have done anything, but he says, no, I want to hang out. I want to be with you. From the very beginning of time. You know why? Because he is present. That compliment that I got from that young woman, God deserves that compliment. He is present. He is present. His desire from the beginning is to be involved. Not a distant force, not an observer, but actually involved. He's not going to be some distant, absent father who got things started and said, I did my deed, I'm out of here. That's not God. No, nope. he wants to be part of their lives. But sadly, something tragic happened there in the garden, which set the wheels in motion. Adam and Eve were given one rule, only one. Can you imagine living life with only one rule? My gosh, we have so many rules, so many laws that we have to follow every single day. Can I eat here? No, I can't eat here. Can I, can I wear this? No, I can't wear that. I got to put this thing on. I got to drive this speed. I got to do it. There's so many rules that we live by. Adam and Eve had one rule and they couldn't even keep it, right? <laughs> you can do anything you want. Eat any of the fruit. Do all these things. Just don't eat the tree. Don't eat of that fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And well, like all of us, I can't push the red button. I want to push the red button. Please let me push. You know, they had to do it. We all would do it. I mean, I look back in history and go, what idiots? But we would all probably do it too. When they did, this dis disobedience, which is called sin, separated humanity from the relationship that God so desperately desired. 
And sin, like a cancer, would grow and spread to generation to generation. But what it wouldn't separate, it wouldn't separate man from God's love and his desire to be present. Everybody say present. He wanted to be present. The rest of the Old Testament, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it tonight, but the rest of the Old Testament is God's process to getting us back into that relationship. That's the whole Old Testament. His, him working it out to get us back into that relationship. Not too long after that, soon God would choose a group of people. He would choose one man and say, I'm going to bless you. And then he'd, he'd, he'd say, I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to pass on my ways to you and you'll be a blessing to all nations. Through your seed, all the world, all the nations, all the generations will be blessed. He says, I'm going to redeem and reconcile mankind through you. And these people would experience God's blessing. Originally, they were called Israelites, then Hebrews. We know them today as Jews. And God's blessing was upon them. In the book of Exodus, God demonstrated his deep desire to be present. And what he did was absolutely incredible. He tells Moses to erect a tent in the middle of the encampment where the people lived. And here's what he said. Take a look. Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. He said, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary. Why? So I can live among them. Did you hear that? Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so that I can live among them. This sanctuary looked like this. It was literally a tent called a tabernacle. Everybody say tabernacle. It was a temporary dwelling place. And it was intended to be right in the middle. There were a million people out there. And God says, put it right there in the middle of that. Why would God do something like that? Why would he say, build a tent so that I can live among them? The God of the universe, the creator of life itself says, I want to be right in the middle of the noise, the chaos, the craziness, the smells. They didn't have showers back then. The smells. And God says, I want to dwell right in the middle, right in the middle, right in the middle. It reminds me, um, a few years back, I ran a conference uh, and check, watch the air, uh, James. Are you guys doing okay, temperature-wise? I know we're kind of cool and hot, and I'm seeing the fans. The fans are starting to go. I'm seeing the fans coming out. One year, I was running this conference in Denver. I had about 3,000 pastors uh, and leaders that were coming to this conference. Well, this conference in Denver was, uh, was also inviting kids to come. So we had 3,000 pastors and their kids. And so, you know, we had hundreds, hundreds of kids at this conference, um, I was in charge of many of the areas and uh, had tons of responsibilities. I remember walking through this uh, hotel hallway, and we had all these rooms where all the kids were at, and I looked in the toddler room, and man, there were so many toddlers, I couldn't even count. I mean, there were, there were hundreds of toddlers, all right, and all these volunteers who were holding kids in one hand and wiping noses with the other and kicking them to keep them in play, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go in there. I'm going to hang out for a while. I'm just going to encourage the leaders. So I went there, hey, you're doing a good job. You're doing a good job. Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. And I don't know why. I thought, you know, I'm just going to sit down. I was tired. I've been walking around all day. I went and sat down right in the middle of the room. And I thought, I want to get the perspective of these kids. 
And I went and sat in there. Man, it was chaos all around me. It was a very bizarre feeling. The energy level was really high. The noise was really loud. It was, it was crazy and chaotic, but fun all at the same time. I actually liked being there. And as the kids began to get kind of comfortable with me, they started getting closer and closer to me. And then they started climbing on me, you know. And I, I mean, then, then the little kids who are just starting to talk are asking me a thousand different questions, you know. And I'm trying to answer each one as they're all interrupting each other. I'm looking all around. They're all talking to me all at the same time. One of them's hitting me in the head with some toy. I couldn't tell what it was. Another one, you know, is, is, is wet, somehow wet. I felt moisture, but it kind of grossed me out. <laughs> That's what this reminded me of. The God of the universe comes down and dwells here with us. And I think, man, this is crazy. God wants to live and dwell and be present? He does. And his voice echoes through the centuries the same words, I am with you. When Joshua in the Old Testament was facing the pressure of having to step in the shoes of Moses, because after Moses had died, now Joshua was in charge and he had some big shoes to fill. Imagine the President of the United States or of some great country, and now you're in charge and responsible for that. Joshua is feeling this pressure. And take a look at what God says to him in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. God says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, here it is, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. You hear those words? I'm with you. I'm with you. Later on, Gideon was commissioned to be the general of God's army, and he felt inadequate, he felt insecure, he felt ill-equipped, probably like a lot of us. You want to use me? You want to use me? Listen to their interaction. Judges chapter 6, verse 15, he said to him, that is, God said to Gideon, I'm sorry, no, Gideon says to God, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, what did he say? Let's all say it together. Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. God says, I'll be with you. I am with you. Are you hearing it? Are you hearing it? God says it over and over and over and over again. God's committed to being present. Then he goes even deeper. And the Spirit of God inspires a prophet by the name of Isaiah to write down these words. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and we will call him, what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not God off in a distance. Not God off on some far planet. God with us. God is saying, I'm not satisfied with a tent. I'm not satisfied on a mountain. I'm not satisfied in an ark. I want to be with them. 
I want to be present. Prophecy sounds familiar, doesn't it? It should. It's spoken every Christmas, even secularly. The Peanuts cartoon speaks this prophecy. Charlie Brown does it. A prophecy that was spoken almost 3,000 years ago is still declared today. And it says that God wants to be with us. Look what it says. Here was the prophecy. It was 750 years after the original prophecy. And one of the first things we hear in the first chapter of the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, is Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Jesus is present. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. That should move you. That should move you. Let that sink in. Almighty God puts on flesh so he could be present with you, with me, with us. He's so motivated by love, committed to being present, that he would become a citizen of earth. He would refer to himself as a son of man. And others would acknowledge that he is the son of God. Son of man and son of God, both. Fully God and fully man. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. It says, For in him, that is Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's saying that all the fullness of God was there in Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The purpose of him being here, Fully God, intentionally to be present and to reconcile, bring back to himself his chosen, his people, and to bring peace through the blood of the cross. Fully God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 says this, Though he was God, he didn't think equality with God as something to hold on to. Something to cling on to. Something to say, no, 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 I'm not going to let go of this. Instead, verse 7 says, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Fully God could have came and lived in a castle, on a mountain, and drawn thousands, millions to him. But he says, you know what? No, I'm going to put aside my privileges, and I'm going to come and be real with real people. Because someday, Kelly Fellows is going to need a real God. And if I came as a king in a castle, he wouldn't be able to relate with me. i got to be a real person walking with real people, experiencing real life. Jesus Christ would spend 30 year, 33 years here on earth. He didn't live in some monastery or some castle separated from people. You know where he lived? In community. Right in the middle of the mess. Jesus was kind of a tabernacle. 
He said, I want to come and be right there in the middle. With real people. Not some virtual God that's going to FaceTime in. He wanted to really be present, right? He wasn't going to show up on some big screen. He wasn't going to be on some jumbotron. He wanted to be present. He experienced the highs and the lows that we experience. Jesus experienced what you experienced. He experienced the loss of loved ones. He knows what it's like to lose people that he loves. (laughs) He was disappointed in people. People let him down. (laughs) Just like people let me and you down. He was tempted to compromise. Just like you're tempted to compromise. He got angry over injustice. Just like you get angry over injustice. He experienced abandonment, abuse. He felt what we feel. He was right in the middle of real life. He was present. He was present. You know what I love when I read the Gospels? That he was always present for his friends. He was always there for them. When they're going through question times, struggling, happy times, joyful times. He was there with them. One example is found in Matthew. Again, we're spending some time in Matthew tonight. Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 26. It's a, it's a popular story. Many of you might know it. It shows Jesus being present. Verse 23 says that Jesus got into a boat or the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. So picture this. Him and his buddies, and these aren't big yachts. <laughs> you know, these aren't some cruise liners. These are fishing boats. So it's kind of tight and squishy. So they all get in there, and they're going across the sea. It's been a long day. Jesus has been preaching and teaching and healing. He's tired. Look what it says in verse 24. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was doing what? Sleeping. He was tired. He got tired doing good things. He gets it when you get tired, by the way. He's been tired too. So Jesus is sleeping. Verse 25, the disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. I'm trying to use like some King James English or something here. And Jesus responded, why are you afraid? I love that question. Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. You know what I love about that when I read that? Jesus is like, what's up? Why are you guys afraid? I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Right? He created the lake. He created the wind. He created the stars that they were sailing underneath. They'd seen him raise the dead and heal the lame. So he's saying, where are you afraid? Where's your faith? I'm here. I'm present. 
I'm present. He was present, and he is present today. I am with you. That's what he says. One of the greatest things, and I'm going to begin to wrap things up here. One of the greatest things I love about being married. Uh, Leah and I, this year, this is our 30th year of marriage. Uh, We got married in 19... Yeah, go ahead. That's cool. We got married in 1989. I just found out the other night, America's Funniest Videos got started in 1989. So my wife and I have something in common. (laughs) 30 years of uh, funny videos and 30 years of this wonderful couple. One of the things people ask about marriage, what do you like about marriage, you know, what's been challenges about marriage, this, that, and the other. One of the things that I really, really like about marriage, about my marriage with Leah, is experiencing life together. I love experiencing life with her. When I was traveling those 10 years extensively, I would travel to, you know, wonderful places, tropical places, uh, exciting places in the United States. And if I had to do it alone, it wasn't as much fun. It just wasn't. Because I wanted her present. I wanted her present. Taking a picture or FaceTiming and saying, look where I'm at. Look at this hotel they put me in. I push a button and everything turns on. You know, it's not as fun. I want her there. We want to jump on the beds together. You know, those kinds of things. I want her present. It's more enjoyable to have a meal together. She's present. It's more comfortable when I don't feel good. I'm laying on the couch. Oh, she gives me a pill, you know. She gives me, puts a thing on my head, and she walks away. I go, wait, 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 come here, come here, come here, just sit here. She goes, I gave you all you need. I go, I know, I just want you here. I'm a baby when I'm sick. I just want you here. Her presence, just her presence makes me feel better. And you know what? It's even more bearable when we struggle through things together. Do we struggle? Yeah. But we go and do it together. Her presence. What I love about being married to Leah. Her presence is often what I need just to get through tough times. And you know what's even more encouraging? Even more than Leah? When I remember that Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, which says he's present. When I don't feel good, he's present. When I'm struggling, he's there with me struggling. He wants to do life together with me. Life is more fun with Jesus. Life is more comforting together with Jesus. The same voice that said to Joshua and Gideon, I am with you, is the same voice that was said to those early disciples. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's the voice that says to you today, I am with you. I am with you. I am present. Jesus is present. Jesus is with you. Adrian, come on up. Is Jesus present in your life? Is Jesus present in your life? The Bible tells us this. When we say yes to Jesus and we ask Him to be our Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God Spirit of Jesus, which the Bible refers to as the Holy Spirit of God, takes residence in our life. Matter of fact, there was the moment which was kind of interesting because Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then he says to the disciples, we read about it in another gospel, uh, he says, I am leaving you. 
and I'm going away. I'm sure the disciples were like a little confused, like, well, wait a minute. You just said you're always going to be with us, and now you're leaving us. He says, oh, but I got to go. I got to go because my spirit is going to come. The Holy Spirit of God, the comforter, the advocate, the counselor who will be with you all the time, everywhere. The Holy Spirit of God. When we say yes to Jesus, we invite God's spirit into our life and we're never alone. That's what it means. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Have you said yes to Jesus? Then the Spirit of God is dwelling inside of you. And you just need to operate in that. Acknowledge that the Spirit of God is in you and say, God, allow your Holy Spirit to empower me, to fill me with faith, and to remind me that I'm not alone. That I don't have to go through any of this stuff by myself. If you've said yes to Jesus, then you need to hear the words that Jesus said. I am with you. Would you pray with me? Before I pray, just close our eyes, bow our heads, take a moment of privacy. If you're feeling pressure and stress, Jesus wants you to know, I am with you. If you're going through a storm that you feel like you're going to drown financially, Jesus wants you to know, I am with you. If you're feeling indecisive and you're confused, Jesus wants you to know, I am with you. If you're feeling lonely, discouraged, and dejected, Jesus wants you to know, I am with you. So would you just acknowledge that right now, that Jesus' presence is here in this place? Thank you, God. Father God, Son Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you that over the centuries, over the millennia, that you've been speaking the same word that you spoke in the garden. I'm here. I'm with you. And I'll be with you always. We don't have to go through life alone. We don't have to struggle alone. We don't have to feel discouraged or despondent because your presence brings comfort, joy, healing, and hope. Would you acknowledge that tonight? Would you say, God, thank you for your presence? Jesus, thank you for speaking those words of comfort to me. And I receive that here tonight. I acknowledge that I am not alone. I am not alone. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed and nobody looking around, I just want to ask you, if you've never said yes to Jesus, tonight's your night. Say yes to Jesus. You don't need to go through the stuff you're going through alone. The God of the universe, the God who created you and formed you, knit you together in your mother's womb, says, I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. I want to help you. I want you to be exactly who I've created you to be. It starts by saying yes to Jesus and making him your Lord and Savior. If that's you here tonight, would you just simply just slip up your hand, just kind of wave at me, say, yeah, I want to say yes to Jesus tonight. I'm saying yes to Jesus tonight. Yes to Jesus. Amen. I see you guys. Anyone else? Anyone else? 
I'm going to invite everybody, if you don't mind, just take a moment to pray with those who raise their hand. And let's all just pray this prayer out loud together. Say, God in heaven, I hear your voice tonight. Jesus is real. And I want to make him my Lord, my Savior, the master of my life. I invite his Holy Spirit into my life so that I'll never be alone. Today, I'm a follower of Jesus. Give me strength, wisdom, and the courage to walk that out. In your name I pray. Amen. For more information about Refinery Church, like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at We Are Refinery. If these messages have blessed you, please consider supporting the ministry by visiting our website at wearerefinery.com give.